Welcome back, everybody. It's Barbie Community Hunt. I have to start that over. When did you do the clap? Is that new? Is that- it's just always psych- done that. Yeah, psych like myself up. It's got to sync the audio. Yeah. I've never seen the clap in my entire life. Your, your audio hasn't worked before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, another month comes by, and that means it's time for another Bourbon Community Roundtable, and this one marks number 80, and we've got two juicy topics to tackle, so let's get at it. Last year, we saw the release of Russell's Reserve Single Rickhouse Limited Edition Offering, and that sparked a Vine Pair article that asked if single rickhouse bottlings will be the next big thing in bourbon. However, I wanted to challenge that a bit and figure out, are there really varied flavor profiles based on rickhouses, or are they just cherry picking barrels to make yet another marketing angle? And in the second half of the show, we discussed the current state of single barrels. They are flooded on shelves across the nation, and they aren't selling like they used to. How will this ever get fixed? Or is this just a side effect of the COVID buying frenzy? With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Nate White, who writes me on fredminnick.com. What's the difference in flavor quality and quality of bottled aged bourbon of A, coming off the still at a high ABV, let's say the industry standard of around 140, and watering it down to 110, versus B, coming off the still at 110 and going into the barrel at 110? And do you know anyone coming off the still at entry proof? I know New Riff and Leopold Brothers do, but that's it. If there's anyone coming off at 125, entering at 125. Oh boy, Nate, you've got, um, you know, this is one where I'd encourage you to check out my book, Bourbon Curious. I've got uh, still proofs in there and I have notations of uh, barrel entry proofs as well, as well as how long they're cooking things. So that guide might actually be a big help for you. But to answer one of the questions, MB Roland is uh, coming off the still in the 110 zone and going in the barrel you know, straight from the still, so they're not cutting it. So that's one that, in addition to uh, New Riff and Leopold, that's doing it. In terms of anyone doing 125 to 125, there are some craft distillers that do stuff like that, but they're not really coming to mind. You know, one of the one of the real underappreciated aspects of whiskey is proofing water. You know, so when that water that they use to to cut it down is very important. Widow Jane did a really great job educating folks about proofing water. You know, now granted, they used that as their way to talk about how they were using local water and trying to make it more of their own. Same with uh, Sagamore Spirit. But those were good educational moments for people to learn about proofing water. And that is really important. So I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of coming straight off of the still and going into the barrel. I'm okay with it when it's like 110 because you don't got a lot of lot to play with there. But 125, coming off of 125, going to the barrel, mm, I don't know how I feel about that. Big fan of a, of a good quality proofing water. 
But what's the difference? You know, essentially the higher you go up in and proof off the still, the more you're stripping out of it. And that proofing water can help make it more soluble in, in the barrel. So it's it's very important. It's very important to kind of like cut it with water. And also somebody in the wood world told me a long time ago that when you add the when you add the water to the still whiskey and then put it in the barrel, you're basically forcing those two chemicals, water and the whiskey, to to work together for its time in the barrel. So you have a little bit of uh, bonding happening in the barrel with the whiskey. So I think there's something to adding water to it uh, and not just really going straight into the barrel. But I kind of I kind of blab there. Nate, but then again, you asked me like, you know, five different questions. I can barely, you know, keep these things down to three, four minutes when someone asked me one question. So I did my best there, Nate. I hope I answered it sufficiently for you, but thank you for hitting me up. If you want to be like Nate, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. And if I like the uh, question, I'll read it on the air. Till next week. Cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome back, everybody. It is Bourbon Community Roundtable number 80, and we've got everybody here with a few good topics on deck for us tonight. But when I said, you know, pretty much everybody here, but yeah, the whole Bourbon Pursuit team's here. So Ryan and Fred, fellas, welcome back. I I mean, not welcome back. Well, I mean, it's your show, so it's not really welcome back. Like, you're just, you're still (laughs) part of this. Welcome home, I guess, maybe. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) did you wipe your feet off of the front door before you stepped in? Always, always. I don't know about you all. Like, I don't care if you wear shoes in my house or, or one of those people. It's like, you know, you want you'd make the guests take off the shoes when they come in. Hell no. I mean, in my house, I'm lucky if 
you know, my kid doesn't hide my shoes or, you know, the new dog takes it outside to chew on. So I, I'm just happy if I can even find my shoes anymore. So, well, you know. and nobody comes see me at my house. So <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. Has about anybody me. ever had that though, where you like show up and like, well, we take your shoes off and oh, you're not yeah. wearing socks. And then you're like, now I'm <laughs> just walking around a stranger's house. Barefoot. You haven't, and, haven't like, like, trimmed your toenails <laughs> in a while. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and do a quick round of introductions. So you heard Blake already. So Blake, get at it. Yeah, I'm Blake from Sealbox and Bourboner. So, you know, keeping the streak alive. Always fun to be here. Thanks for having me. And it's it's not even Rebrun anymore. It's, it's Reebkin. Is that what you want to go by? Yeah. You know, the, the Cal Ripken of the Bourbon Round Table should live on. So just wanted to you know, make sure everybody, I'm, I'm sacrificing, uh, you know, anniversary dinners tonight. So, um, I told my wife I was just going to the restroom. 30 minutes later, I'll join her back for dinner, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> I was really backed up, honey. <laughs> All right, Brian. All right, thanks, guys. Number 80 here. Um, happy to be here. And Brian with Sipping Corn and Bourbon Justice. And I'm I'm just in awe of Blake. I mean, he doesn't need me to say that. We don't need to get his, his ego stroked anymore, but. Man, anniversary night, and he's on the round table. That that should tell everybody watching what this means to us. Just get your scanner out. <laughs> get. I don't know if people caught on that one. He's wearing a, a UPC code. As That's a, true. As a, yeah, we're a recording a podcast. So. This is a very nice shirt. <laughs> people can't see his multiple striped shirt. All right, Nick. Hey, everybody. Uh, glad to be here. It's been a little while since I've been on one of these, so good to see everybody again. Nick with uh, Breaking Bourbon, breakingbourbon.com. Perfect. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, let's get into it. People were trying to keep it together. So there's a lot of good sort of riffs that are coming in the chat just to Blake shirt, but Blake knows it's all in good fun. So we'll we'll try to keep his zebra printing this happy fun here tonight. So Unfortunately, my wife is also making fun of the shirt, so I'm pretty self-conscious <laughs> about this thing right now, but <laughs> I like it. I'm sticking with it, you know? Yeah. Eric says, don't go around any prisons. They're going to think you escaped. (laughs) Hey, and he is from Florida. So we all, if you haven't seen the Netflix series on Florida, man, there's a, there's a little, you know, a little apropos there. There you go. Hey guys, we have some great round table topics I'd like to get into. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been talking about Blake's shirt for 13 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and let's get into it. So, this first one was, uh, I kind of saw this in a Vine Pair article. So this was a recent one that came out. It was by Dylan Ettinger, and it was titled, Are Single Rickhouse Bottlings the Next Big Thing in Bourbon? And that kind of got me thinking of, of really, do we see this trend going anywhere? It In the article, it talked, of course, about Russell's Reserve Camp Nelson seat. I think that was really the one that kind of really shined a light on this as like, this could potentially be a next big thing because that really premiumized the, the whole category. But of course, also one of the primary examples that we've had for a long time, of course, is Blanton's. You know, it all comes from the same exact warehouse. And I think we've also seen some other things hit the TTB recently. I know there's been some stuff with Four Roses that be talking about certain warehouses and certain recipes that will be coming out. Plus, uh, for the longest time, we've always seen people that are warehouse chasers out there, whether they're getting Russell's reserve from a certain Rick house, whether it's the, you know, the old days of the warehouse Emmy chasers from four roses. And of course we always think of Dietzville when it comes to heaven Hill. So I kind of want to ask the first question here. Do we really think there's a theory to this where 
warehouses are creating a different flavor profile, so much different than any other thing that's out there? Or do you think it's just specific cherry barrels that are taken from different warehouses that then we put next to each other and we go, wow, these are really different? Or do you think if we did it blind and just put barrels from different places and it'd be really kind of hard to tell a difference? So let me kind of let me kind of jump in here and just try to explain why this is so good for for American whiskey. In wine, they have so much transparency, so much. You you know if it's left bank, right bank, Bordeaux. You know if it you know Napa Valley, which which side of the hill it's on. Uh, winemakers tell you everything about the fermentation process, the aging. You know, with the exception of a few brands like Silver Oak, which is more spirits like in its marketing, we have not had transparency at that level in American whiskey ever. It's only been in the last, you know, I want to say five, maybe ten years, that we've started getting distillers to share, open up uh, what's going on. And when someone gets a bottle of bourbon and they see that it, when they hear that it's cast strength and it's under 90 proof, they don't actually know that the where what what warehouse that came from. And they think that it's BS, but there are actual cast strength products out there that go lower in proof because of the warehouse. So if this single rickhouse ploy is actually real and people are going to go through it. It actually means something where a small batch doesn't mean anything. You have someone, keep, you, you can keep their toe to the line on a single rickhouse because that's a truth in advertising that you can be, you know, that can be pulled out with small batch. That can be anything. It'd be a thousand barrels and they can still call it small batch. With a single rickhouse, we may actually be able to taste the differences between different rickhouses at one facility. And sure, honey barrels, absolutely cherry cherry barrel spots that's absolutely real but so is the differences of flavor profiles between the rick houses and i just look at this as another step toward incredible transparency and the irony to me is that it's really wild turkey who the you know they still don't even disclose their mash bill i mean you can look it up and find it and it'd be you can look at my book or wherever you can find it but they don't disclose that and to me it's 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 a little ironic that uh buffalo trace you know is all about like a single warehouse and wild turkey is all about a single warehouse and those are two of the least transparent when it comes to uh their grain bills so uh, there's some irony there but i think this is an incredible step toward transparency in american whiskey is it, does it, everything comes off as a marketing ploy. I, and I understand when people go down that route, but this is very exciting for me. And I've said that as much as when I, when I've done reviews on, on the, on the Rick house product from wild Turkey. No, I think you, like, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth on it. Blake, go ahead. I, I see you wanted to jump in there. Yeah. So, I mean, not to just kind of double up on Fred, what Fred said, but I think it's the closest thing we have to take these massive, in in general, they're they're manufacturing plants for alcohol, so they're making bourbon at huge, vast quantities, and it's the most logical way we have to like make it a little more boutique and craft, and kind of play on what the wine world has done with their different regions and plots of land, and it just makes incredible sense to me to see 
you know, a single warehouse and, and it, it truly does have some backing to it. Like each warehouse can be different. So while we love single barrels at times, like it could be anything from that oak, from, you know, the temperatures that year, whatever it is, there's so many variables at play, but to take an entire warehouse and say, all right, we had, you know, 30, 40 barrels from this warehouse blended together. That's a true representation of what that warehouse is. And so I think that's by far the best way I've seen for the, the bigger producers to kind of make it a little more unique and, and fun and just that boutique offering that we all kind of want, but at the scale that they're, they're producing. So, yeah, I think that's an incredible thing, but we'll see who, you know, it's all like with Blanton's being single barrel that everybody else caught on with that. It'll be interesting to see if other brands also jump onto the single rickhouse name and, and definition. I think more people are going to jump onto it. The reason that I'm so hesitant about this is because I look at this as just another angle for marketing. Now, as a whiskey geek, I, th- I think we, like I said, the Deetsville is a great thing because we'll go into a, a single barrel for Elijah Craig and you pull it out and you're like, that's Deetsville. And you're like, I, I want this one. It's so good. And it's like, okay, now if I would have taken, dumped a hundred barrels from Deetsville and dumped a hundred barrels from, you know, warehouse I or whatever, you know, it is on Heaven Hills campus. And I put them in a bottle. I mean, how big is that difference going to be to be able to see between those two? I don't know if there's going to be that much because you can pick a lot of cherry barrels in a particular warehouse, bottle it up, and then you say this is that Rick House flavor. Or am I just going to see like, I'm just going to go ahead and take, I don't know, 20 barrels from each floor, put them together. There we go. That's the flavor profile of this. Is there really going to be that much of a difference between all the different warehouses? That's where I kind of come in to try to figure out, are they picking and choosing barrels to try and develop a flavor profile for a warehouse? Or is it really that much different based on the warehouse? And this is, again, this is me being a little naive because I don't have my own warehouse I can go to and figure this out. Uh, And so I'm, I'm just kind of asking the hard question and playing devil's advocate here. So do you guys think that all of Dietzville is always better? I mean, because when we get those barrels, I'm, I'm with you. If, if we figure out something, we think something might be a Dietzville, and then we guess right, we're like, yeah, we got the best barrel ever. But that's passing through a panel to get to, the, to get to that private selection. So it's something that they have already identified as something that should go to the private barrels. So same with Four Roses, we're back with the ME stuff. You know, those they were just having a really nice run out of ME, but that passes through a panel. So I don't even think on private barrels we're getting a true representation of a of a warehouse, let alone a full campus, when we say we love Deetsville, which I say all the time. I think just to kind of add an kind of commentary to the whole perspective of this, it's it's interesting that with bourbon, you know, we went from historically wanting a very consistent product. I mean, think of Maker's Mark, rotating barrels, um, Four Roses, how they, you know, their floors don't go that high. You know, we've been consistent, consistent, consistent. And now everything we're, we're seeing that's really picking up, that's gained a lot of speed, single barrels, it's different, it's unique, it's inconsistent. Now we're, we're finding another inconsistency. And I think we're going to see a lot of different angles that are taken on this. But again, just the overall perspective of it's interesting that inconsistency is what's playing into marketing with the whole concept. 
Yeah, it's a uh, great point, Nick. It's uh, it's fascinating because like you have these, you know, legacy distilleries that have, like their whole pitch is like, oh, it's all in this d- distilling and crafting your own and making it. You know, it's a romantic. We we make our own whiskey. We don't source and blah blah blah. And now they're saying no. It's all about the different warehouses and aging and this and that. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. You told me it was all about the distilling, and now it's about where it's at in a warehouse that makes all the difference. Which is true. You know, they say seventy to eighty percent of the flavor comes from the you know the barrel and the aging and whatnot. But this is to me, it's a hundred percent marketing. I think you know, as we'll get into a, a, a later topic, I think. People were doing single barrels because they were kind of tired of the limited releases. So single barrels were the next unicorn. That kind of has gotten played out and they're like, okay, what's next? And, you know, they kind of listened to what whiskey geeks were doing. They're like, oh, they're looking for specific warehouses and this and that of of single barrels. That's the next wave. We can kind of like pull, you know, their attention and and try to get that, you know, something more, another thing that they can chase after because, uh, I don't know. It's I've been in warehouses and tasted barrels side by side, and there are some that are magical, some that's not great, and then some that are okay. You know, and it doesn't matter which warehouse it is. It's just there. There's so many variables that it's like Kenny said. I think it's just yeah. You might like, for instance, Willits, one of their warehouses. There is if you get on those top two or three floors. I mean, it's there. There's usually some really good barrels. It's in a it gets hit by this angle of the sun. It's very windy up there and it does something magical to those barrels. But for the most part, everywhere else, I think there's so many variables in bourbon. That's why I keep saying ever, for years that it's the perfect product because you can literally pick one thing out of the hundred variables to market on. That, that That's the fascinating thing about it. <laughs> it, it Ryan, you bring up you bring up a couple of really good points. One, I, I don't think that well, I don't think this is all about marketing. I think that's it's very important to point out that this this was they're pursuing this because consumers have because you uh because Brian's been requesting Deetsville. I shit you not, man. They just they listen. I mean, for once they're listening. And to Nick's point, it was all about consistency, fellas. It wasn't until the early two thousands that you saw them having a cast strength product, you know, regularly. In the 80s, it was Noah's Mill and Booker's, and they would have to apologize to American consumers because of a, of a tie proof. They started listening to consumers who were requesting it and wanting it and, and following that. So, I mean, I think this the, just going simply to the single warehouse, they're listening to customers on this and people wanting it. And, I, and it's a it's a subject that we're going to approach soon, like you said. But the, you know, the single barrel stuff, you know, everybody kind of wanted their own their own product, their own experience. And I think that there's going to be people who who are drawn to the branding of a certain warehouses, whereas some people ain't going to know anything about them. And then and then like Brown Foreman, they're not going to care to market their warehouses because they're heat cycling. There's some differentiation there but they're going to market their heat cycling. So everyone's going to market their story that works really well. Like for example, if you talk to four roses, you know, their yeast strains are probably more impactful than the warehouse, not the barrel, but the warehouse with their single story warehouses. They'll probably say 
our yeast strains, you know, create more flavor than an individual warehouse. So I think everybody's different. And I don't think everybody could pull off a single uh, Rick house. I think there's just a handful of distilleries that can. And that's, that's exciting. It should be celebrated. But once you start seeing, you know, someone over market it and not really have a true warehouse that should be marketed, then that's when you know it's jumped the shark. So it could be a fad. It could be a trend. I just I just hope it's real and I hope it stays because I love I love being able to analyze variables from one one thing to another. I can say I think it, it creates another way to connect with the consumer too, which is I think typically a good thing until it's abused. Um, you know, one question that comes up is will it mean that it had to age in that warehouse from the moment it started aging warehouses? Could it move from warehouse to warehouse? What do you need to disclose? You know, what will we see on that front if this does actually become a thing? You know, but the consumer connection aspect is what drew people to single barrels. And I think now, as with many things, you know, you'll talk with people, they tend to like rye versus wheat or wheat versus rye, whatever there might be that they have the connection with. This will be one of those things. And it's going to reach a certain number of consumers that care about that, not just those that say, I like what I like because of taste and that's it, but those that want to feel that connection with the brand. They want to know what they're having and details about what they're having. I saw it kind of off topic, but last night we tried the Mexican Cokes, which are made with sugar, this regular sugar, not high fructose corn syrup. And talking with the kid, my kids about that, you know, what do you like better? And we didn't have both to try them, but we did some research online, it turned out that in blind taste tests, people like the high fructose corn syrup version better by far. However, when they knew what it was, they liked the sugar version in the glass bottle better by far. So it's interesting that connection people have kind of knowing what it is going into it. Like Brian was talking about Dietzville, you hear Dietzville and if you're a bourbon enthusiast, you get excited about that. You sometimes you don't even know why. You know, you just you know you get excited. So this is one of those things that I think and kind of exciting from that aspect that it's something that hasn't really been explored in depth before, but as enthusiasts, it is something to get excited about. Yeah. And I also look at this from a, a few different angles. So first off is, you know, we'll take we'll take the Wild Turkey Camp Nelson C that came out, right? Now the next one they're going to do, like whether it's Camp Nelson B or one of the other things that are out there, it's it's. I look at it and go, can you create a lot of flavor variation that is going to potentially shift the way the consumers think about things? So I'm not going to say that like they've got one dud of a warehouse, but then they go and they just find all the cherry barrels from there and start bringing all the best ones, and they're like, yeah, this is it. Like this is the the warehouse that nobody thinks of anymore. And so now when people go and you know they go into a wild turkey Russell's reserve pick and then they're like oh yeah i heard about this one warehouse they did a whole offering of it and then you taste it and you're like well it's all right i guess so it's like is there a way that they could try to just shift the consumer perception of a particular warehouse and maybe i'm just thinking too hard here yeah it's like do they do blind taste tests of like <laughs> here's the f you know our flagship blend versus Camp Nelson blend versus Tyrone blend versus this and that. And you're like, and then you pick the regular blend <laughs> and, but probably they don't do that because that was probably what would happen. But, uh, it, it is exciting and cool from a, from a whiskey consumer geek kind of pr perspective. I, I just think like, I don't know, sometimes these things, the story sounds awesome, but then it, 
in reality the the back end process gets dumbed down and it's it's just more of the 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 story than the actual thing and that's what i always worry about in these things when things are developed in a marketing room right that's when they may be successful but ryan i'm right there with you i hate the marketing that surrounds these brands and the distillers have less and less say every year so I think that's why that this little sliver of a campaign or a bottling, I think that's why it excites me is because the origin of it is from us. It wasn't defined in a room filled with MBAs. It's a word connected to Frederick Stitzel creating the uh, rickhouses that are special to us. And it says that one, it says our whiskey's not palatized, which believe it or not, is the thing that we now have to say is like we now have to ask, is your whiskey palatized? And and so this little bitty sliver of a single Rick House release, it's just one, it's a step away actually from marketing. Now, does that mean the marketing people will screw it up? Probably. So you're saying we need a single palate release? Oh, for God's sake. There's nothing wrong with palletized warehouses. I think, yeah, I think Fred nailed it, though, where, you know, we've all heard so many marketing tactics over the years of this or that. and, And this is one that actually hits home with what we care about. Like, all right, which, you know, the whiskey enthusiasts and nerds were... We were all tracking these warehouses way before it was ever a publicized thing. And now major brands and their PR firms are talking about it. So um, that that's kind of fun to me. Like, and it's stuff that actually ma- actually matters and actually does change the flavor profile. So from that aspect, I feel like it's a win. I agree. It's, you know, it's interesting because like Dietzville, you know, just from people I know, it does produce fantastic whiskey, but it's on, you know, if you ever probably nobody's really been there but if you've been there that the, these warehouses kind of sit on top of kind of rolling hills and it's very windy and gets full sun whereas the other heaven hill warehouses are kind of more kind of like a little valley and so yields at deetsville are way less than they get at other rickhouses and two you know these rickhouses that you know like heaven hills building these fifty thousand barrel barrel warehouses where deetsville is probably like I think 25, 30,000. I don't even know if they're that big. I think they're, yeah, they're probably 15, 20,000. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're less. Brian actually makes makes me meet him there for a picnic every time I'm in Kentucky. He's like the sun, the sun's all shining. It's the sun, that red and white checkered (laughs) blanket that we set out. But it's like, does that diminish, like doing this, does it diminish like your, other offerings, but maybe it doesn't probably because we're overthinking and the general consumer doesn't give a shit. You know, you could put distilled in Indiana on Elijah Craig bottle and no one give a shit, but you know, cause they wouldn't <laughs> read it. But, uh, you know, that that's one thing I would like, does it diminish, you know, the, the flagships and whatnot, but I guess maybe it doesn't matter. Now it should be clarified to anyone listening. Ryan did not say that Heaven Hill is moving production to Indiana. No, 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 no. I did, clearly did not. did not say that. So we don't need your letters. I'm Thank just you. saying in the general populace would not care to look at what warehouse it came from or where it was distilled by or distilled in. Just had to give a clarification there, Ryan, for the letters we've been getting. I appreciate it before I get Absolutely. a lawsuit. 
Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't need more libel around here. That's right. So a uh, question from Justin on the chat here. It says, how can you keep a quote unquote Rick House profile with such variance between levels within the Rick House? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. How can you keep a quote-unquote Rick House profile with such variance between levels within the Rick House? And that's a that's a good one because we didn't really discuss about what goes into it, you know, whether you just take 20% from each floor and that becomes the blend or whether you're sitting there trying to find the different cherry barrels or you're trying to figure out exactly which ones produce which type of flavor. And I would imagine over over the span of doing multiple releases, yeah, you can try to I mean, it's just like every small batch product. You can try to get it relatively close to the same, but I think you're going to have some small variances. Any other thoughts? I think that's the fun in it is, you know, maybe they just pull, hey, each time we're pulling, you know, 10 barrels from each floor that we think are good and ready to go. And that's kind of the fun and collecting those releases. And um, as you progress, you get different small variances. It's all pretty consistent, but you, you start to taste how that warehouse develops barrels. I was going to say, I, I think that then takes it a even a deeper angle to that is, you know, here's the, the representative sample taken from all the floors, but here's Rick house H floor one and here's floor three and here's floor six. And now you're getting even a deeper dive into what the difference uh, on, in that Rick house is by floor. Um, and you're seeing proof variation, you know, you're seeing a lot of variation that again, the whiskey diehards are going to be really into it's just how how deep do they go i think you sample it first with just the general concept and then as you go deeper and deeper you're going to lose more and more audience because you are kind of feeding to that you know to that smaller and smaller group of of niche enthusiasts that are going to be into that that's the, that's the next product line 
it goes from single warehouse to single floor and then from single floor to single barrel area. Yeah. We're back <laughs> at single barrel. Then we're back yeah. to single barrel, but <laughs> single barrel though is kind of arbitrary in some regard. I mean, a lot of times you don't know a lot of those details, you know, you just know it's a single barrel and you're not, not, not much beyond that per se. I, again, it's just what are people into at any given time and what's selling and what are people talking about? And this could kind of kick that off. I will say the the Russells. I thought the uh, it was a Camp Nelson Kenny the the one they the single rickhouse whatever was it the Camp C. Nelson yeah or C or whatever Camp Nelson I, C. I, I did think it was pretty good. Now I, I I we judged it right there, you know, with just that on its own, and it wasn't compared to like other Russell single barrel picks or anything. But I thought it was really good. Not the 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 problem the question is is it worth you know the hundred Twenty hundred fifty dollars extra it is, or three hundred. It was three hundred dollars. Okay, so two hundred fifty dollars more than a Russell's pick. I don't know. Maybe you know. That's what I worry about. Is like, okay, they're like looking. How can we squeeze more margin out of this product line? That that that's one thing that concerns me. Yeah, that's one one of the things that we've talked about for a while. Is like you get a. I mean, but that's the whole difference of just getting an LE versus a single barrel pick. Like, can you get a single barrel pick that does taste better than some limited edition? And it happens from time to time. I know that we did a, an episode on it. Yeah. But the general population doesn't care. They just. Well, the, the collectors will care, right? I mean, they're going to. Uh, and that goes back to the to Kenny's marketer comment. You know, if you the people who want to collect something that is different, they're going to get this. Yeah. And put it with a little horsey and then boom. And boom. You, know. you sell them boom. all out. But it's it's I think it's really going to put the emphasis on blending because you're you're not going to believe me these distillers these distilleries I should say aren't going to just want to combine some percentage from every floor and you get what you get they got to work really hard to make sure that it's actually tastes like something special so the the blenders are going to have a tough time. They're going to have to take different percentages from different floors. They're they're not just going to take an equal percentage. Yeah, it's funny, Fred. You said that um, I've been collecting all these bottles for a charity for my buddy, and there's some expensive bottles on there. And I asked my son, who's seven, I go, "What? You know, I got King of Kentucky's, Will of Family Estates, Birthday Bourbons." blends the whole nine yards and i go i go son what do you think is the most expensive bottle on this table and he goes the one with the horse <laughs> and i was like damn you he figured it out he figured it out so yeah they must have done a lot of uh, market research to figure that one out that's right yeah so there's there's one more question that comes from ben in this and it's about the whole single workout workhouse thing and it's you know it's a it's a novelty thing here is that when you think of heritage distilleries we talk we talked about Deetsville we talked about Camp Nelson talking about these heritage distilleries with these relatively well known warehouses that good picks come out of now could a new distiller do this let's say a Bardstown Bourbon Company or somebody that's just been around for five or six years and they're going to come out with their own single warehouse single rickhouse whichever you want to call it. Would you think that's gimmicky? Do you think that's chasing a fad? Or do you think that's like, hey, we can still play in the sandbox too? I need to figure out how Bardstown differentiates their warehouses. Uh, I still don't even know. Our barrels are there. And I need to figure that out. It's a bunch <laughs> of letters. <laughs> that's right. Although they do have the glass walls on some of them. I, I was thinking that too, yeah. 
That's kind of interesting. I feel like you could play that. I kind of, it probably really depends on the distillery and, you know, if they have all the Rick are the same and they're all lined up, that's going to be really hard to do. But if you have one with glass walls or you have them in different locations or you're heat cycling one and not another, you know, or different materials, and maybe that's a thing going forward too, where, you know, distilleries deliberately, you know, use different building materials for their, for the Rick houses to, to get flavor profiles that are different, either to blend something that's consistent or inconsistent. You know, we'll see if it really picks up. That could be more uptick on that. The three little pigs of bourbon. You got your Rick house of brick, your Rick house of straw, right? Just trying to figure out exactly, find all these different flavor profiles. Yep. I guess you, yeah, to that point you had E.H. Taylor do Warehouse C, you know, kind of to be in the first ones that no really one ever really bought it up brought this up until you know turkey kind of did it yep all right well that's gonna kind of mean that it really all kind of circles back because as we said we went from single rick house potentially single floor single pallet back to single barrel and that is just kind of what we're seeing now with the trend of just kind of how we've seen the things have changed over the past probably six months to a year and i believe um a few of us made this prediction at the very beginning of the, this year. And we basically said, you know, two or three years ago, single barrel picks, they were the hottest things in the market. You could get them. They were sold out within a day. However, the fatigue is starting to set in and stores are now sitting on end caps that are full of single barrels. Many aren't selling. It's been a huge flood in the market. So now we have to look at this and we say, can we fix this? How do we fix this? Or is this not broken? And did we just now find the inflection point where things are starting to kind of come back to the way that they were originally? And I'm sure that you all have been there at some point too, when stores actually used to have to hand sell their own single barrels. You got to get them to try it. You got to get say, hey, this is the one we picked. If you want to try it? We got a sample over here. You bring your own bottle home where they didn't have to do that two years ago. So like I said, do you think that we is there is does this need to be fixed or is it going to fix itself or is it just now we started to hit that point and kind of to that point kenny i will say years ago one of the local stores when you bought one of the limited releases i think it was antique collection at msrp or close to it you had to buy this is here locally a willet eight-year store pick for 39.99 cast strength and, and I think back on that and I'm like, they were forcing you to buy that. And now, and it's a fantastic bottle. I still have a little bit, but this is the change. This is how much we've shifted from that point. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, you know, it, it it's tough because you're coming off the, you know, 2020 and 2021 where everybody had a little bit more discretionary income. They were at home, you know, drinking at home a lot more doing this and people just pantry bought everything, you know, they would just go and buy, buy, buy. And, and two, you know, single barrel picks were kind of limited to, you know, stores that have been doing it for a while. Groups have been doing it for a while and that was it. But then all these companies kind of opened up single barrels pretty much to everyone. They're like, well, instead of allocating product to our flagships, we'll just single barrels. Are we going to allocate product to single barrels? And then so, you know, New Riff, you know, like say New Riff picks or for example, was like they probably had like 100 picks a year. And then probably in 2020, 2021, it probably went to like 500 picks a year, you know, through stores. And so people that used to not have access to these picks suddenly started to get them. And 
you know, they didn't need like to go to groups or certain select fuse to get them. And so I, I still think single barrels are these special kind of unicorns. I think there was just so many of them. I think it'll kind of probably self-regulate. And two, I think just so many people bought so much shit during COVID that they just can't consume anymore. They can't have any more bottles in their house. And it's like, it's like how many more, you know, and two, a lot of these single barrels are the same exact whiskey. It's Ross and squib juice, you know, that's like, not Ross, you know, just there's a ton of different things. And it's like, how many more Russell's picks do I need? How many more Ross and squib picks do I need? How many more same of this do I need? You know, when I have five sitting here in my bar, I need to drink through these things first before I buy one. So I don't know. That's I'm rambling, but that's kind of my thought. I will say it, it's it's brand dependent, right? So you know, right? Sure, absolutely. Question, yep. How many Russell's picks can you have? The answer is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> I felt <laughs> that one answer, coming. That's the answer on that one. All of uh, them. But uh, you know, it, it's it's. Four Roses, Four Roses to me is a really good study because 15 years ago, they were rolling out all the recipes two, sometimes three barrels deep. And, you know, they would have 12 to 15 year old product. I mean, they had some really old stuff they would taste. And that that age got a little younger with the uh, increase of popularity and the amount of barrels they would roll out for a tasting will become fewer and fewer. And and now they're very selective with who picks barrels. So I, I think that's kind of where the, the, the pinch started. And these clubs, these liquor stores were like, well, we can't get a Four Roses barrel. What, what can I get? And so they end up getting a, uh, a brand that's just bottling MGP doing a great job, doing a great job. And then to your point, Ryan, you know, the market starts getting flooded with this stuff. And then there's craft whiskey starting to come on the market. And we all know you could be the biggest supporter of a craft whiskey in the world, which I am. I, I support those people, but you are not going to win over the mainstream populace with that flavor profile. So when we see this will play itself out, but it's got to be done by the brands, the brands, and the retailers have to make sound decisions. You can't just be putting whiskey out on the market that's a single barrel because that should be your very best representation as a brand. And if you miss on a single barrel with a consumer or a retailer, you're not getting that person back. And so I think that this onus is as much on the distilleries to not be overzealous and put out whiskey that should not be put out as it is on us being fed up with too many options to pick from. Yeah, you're right. I think this the COVID thing really kind of jammed it up as well as what Fred said with the different distilleries kind of reeling back on what they're able to do. Don't be wrong. The big distilleries, as we mentioned before here and plus in the chat, you know, your Heaven Hill, your Four Roses, your Wild Turkey, those are going to sell. Like there's not even a problem. Yeah, I, I was I mistakenly said how many Russell's picks. You know, I just looked at the core of my eye, I saw Russell's. So <laughs> that's just the name. I, but, you know, there's. You know what I mean? So yeah, proceed. But then, you know, part of this is, you know, they got to say, well, we only have so many barrels. So other people start kind of filling that gap. And that's where a lot of the group started going. Now, I even look at this of, of two other heritage distilleries that are out there that still really kind of have a hard time selling through stuff. You see Knob Creek and you see Maker's Picks sitting quite often. Uh, and that might be because I don't know whether they're a dime a dozen 
or what it is, but those are typical picks that still just do not have the same sort of pull. And that is also where you saw other people. So yeah, even people that want to go in, get their Knob Creek, other people are going to come in and start filling that gap. And that's when you started seeing a lot of this four to six year uh, Indiana and other kind of smaller players come in and really start finding and filling that niche. Now, I have a feeling that all this will, it'll even itself out at some point because the stores that bought that four to six year old product, they're not going to go back and buy another one because it took them six months or so to sell out of it. Or maybe it took them over a year, whatever it is, they're not going to go back and get another one. So unless you are a brand and trying to figure out exactly like, and I think that's probably goes back to the brand as well, is that if you're going and you're providing these single barrel picks, well, you've got to be doing something that is going to help drive that to want to get more consumers to pull it off the shelf because you might sell your first, it's like selling your first bottle. You can sell your first barrel that way, but if you're not creating some sort of engine or momentum around that brand, that's going to help drive the product off the shelf. Well, the retailers just aren't going to come back from you. And I think you're going to start seeing that dwindle down and you're going to see, start seeing these brands kind of pull back on that whole single barrel model because they're just not getting the the sales that were needed. And so now stores are trying to find what's next and maybe they're just moving to tequila at this point. I, I agree with that. And that's a great point. And But I think you almost made the point that there isn't fatigue because if the distilleries bring out something we want, we we clamor for it. So the example I'm thinking of to to bring up your Beam point is, what if what if Beam brought Booker's into the private barrel program? They've they've done one in the history of the brand for for UK Hospital for a fundraiser. If they brought that in, people would buy it nonstop. You'd have a line. You'd be doing a lottery to be able to be one of the stores or groups that could do the bookers. So I think the demand is out there, but I think the fatigue comes in, like you say, from the brands that just aren't, just really aren't pulling it. I was going to say, but I guess part of that too is from the, and I'm thinking of the retailers, especially this is where it seems most prominent is either shopping online or in their stores where there's a lot of those single barrel picks, they continue to do them though. And even though they might be around longer than they were at one point, or there's a lot more of them than there were at one point, I think at the same time, they're, they're not necessarily looking to get that, those picks and sell through them quickly every time. I think sometimes a retailer that's not used to doing them, or maybe is just starting to get into it is unsure of how they're going to handle that. But I think part of it is just their goal to make their store unique and bring people into the store for something that is unique to that store that will not be necessarily anywhere else. You know, a lot of stores are just, especially when you go locally, are mirror images of one another in terms of what they have. If their footprint of, of real estate basically is similar, it's probably going to be a very similar footprint of what they have in stock. And so that's one way they can differentiate themselves. And I don't think they necessarily want that to be, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out. I think they want to have that selection, you know, there, and they know eventually they will sell through that just like any inventory they hold. So it's interesting that we're looking at it as, is it oversaturated or is it just to the point of, where people want the saturation to be that are in that business. And I'd be curious to hear the opinion of some retailers who are really deep into it, how they really feel. And I think a lot of them I've talked to just anecdotally, you know, are finding that certain things like the MGP products are 
they're finding the same lag there, but they're getting momentum on other things and they're trying to kind of suss out what that is. But those that are into it seem willing to take that risk and willing to have the wide array available at any time. So here's, this is a, such an interesting conversation to have because it, it, it can, we can go in a lot of different directions. And one of the things that we are kind of like walking around, but not really saying it is that you know, bourbon drinkers have a very particular profile. They want particular brands. They want want it to fill in the palate a certain way and smell a certain way and all that. And, you know, if you talk to people in the spirits community outside out of bourbon, people who are versed and, and other things, they will say that uh, a lot of bourbon drinkers are very closed minded and that they won't taste outside of their profile. And this could be an example of that. And so if you are a if you are a, a bourbon consumer and drink what you like, absolutely. But if you can't find the bourbon that you want, this is a great opportunity to explore rye. I mean, I've been doing this for 17 years now. And yesterday I found a product that that wowed me in a category that I very rarely wowed in a, in a light whiskey it was a brand I just posted on Instagram. It's called Southern Collective Spirits. It's a light uh, spirits uh, company. They are a it, they brought they have a light whiskey and it was just it just knocked my socks off. And so if you can't find the bourbon you want, there's a light whiskey out there. There is a rye out there. You know, dip your toe into scotch. If you play around in other spirits, you know, I come from a taster perspective. You'll improve your palate. You'll improve your nose, and you may even find yourself gravitating toward different styles of bourbon, which would lighten the bank account a little bit, you know, so you wouldn't have to pay $200 for Blanton's if that's what you're doing. We need to, you need to quit giving people incentive to quit drinking bourbon. I'm <laughs> not saying, I'm not what team I'm, are you on? It, I'm, I'm a team whiskey. Like I'm saying, explore other styles, but I think it's, it, it's frustrating if you are only, if you are a one product drinker, and that product is Smoke Wagon, Blanton's, or dare I say Pappy, which I don't know why that would be anybody anymore. It's an expensive well, habit. It's a very expensive habit. I mean, you must be miserable. And so, you know, try rye. Try try other stuff. It's okay. It's okay. It is funny. Like, so just for an example, like with our our brand, so rye, bourbon outsells rye three to one without people tasting it. But if you do a tasting, the rye will outsell the bourbon three to one, <laughs> you know, just because people come into this and they'll say, I'm not a rye drinker. You know, I don't drink rye. And then they try that and they're like, oh, well, this is something I can get around, you know, but it, it, it's funny that people have very narrow mindset when they go into stores. But bringing back the the Knob Creek picks, you know, they used to fly off the shelf when it was a 14, 15 year old selection, but then it went back down to like what the flagship is now. And it's like, well, why the hell would I spend more on a single barrel pick when I get the the same exact age state of whiskey for 10 to $15 less or whatever. But you know, I don't know. That's just my theory, but you just get fatigued by trying to like, I don't know, get chasing the next thing. And it's sometimes you just want to go and find something you like and that you can get all the time. <laughs> and that's, that's where I think maybe people are too with that. So I don't know. I've got also one idea to kind of, toss us out before we close down here. And that's if if you're a, a brand and you have lots of brands in your portfolio, your umbrella, and since we're picking on Beam, let's just go ahead and stick with the Knob Creeks here. 
Now, there is a lot of people in the chat. They're like, why do we not see more Baker's picks? Brian brought up, why don't we do Booker's picks? I would like Booker's picks. Good good suggestion, Brian. I like okay. that. Okay. I've, I've figured out the answer. You take the same exact barrels. You, you just bottle them as Booker's. And you just charge the premium. And now all of a sudden you've created people that are starting to chase after a different brand in your portfolio. Because Booker's is actually younger than Knob Creek. Exactly. <laughs> and then what you do is you say, we're going to be putting our Knob Creek program on hold. And then a few years later, what do you do? You bring it back. And then all of a sudden people go crazy because you got Knob Creek picks again. One thing about Booker's. I used to get invited to the, they'd bring in writers to while well, they were doing batches and and Fred and some people that worked with Booker would manage it. They take the Booker's releases so seriously because it's such an ode to Booker and they would bring in writers that used to unfortunately many have passed, but they would bring in writers that you know would tag along with Booker and and so I I think I think Beam will always try to keep it as close to Booker's stories and who he was because I think that's what Fred and Freddie know want, and I doubt we'll ever see a single barrel. But just that, those were some of the more cool things I've experienced in my career was getting to getting to witness that and you know have a say in some of those things. In fact, I think they called it. I think they called it the one that I was a part of, the Writers Roundtable. Actually, now that that round table is copyrighted. We may want to go after beam. Can we can go after him? Yeah. yeah. But that, the name in those badges was, I mean, I had the same experience with blends, you know, like eight years ago, somebody said, Hey, can you, or I don't even know that they were like, Hey, can you go give me a bob? And I was like, hell yeah, they're on the shelf all the time. And I go to the store and they're like, no blends is allocated. And we don't get any. And I'm like, what you used to sell on the shelf. The same thing the other day. They're like, can you give me a Booker's? I was like, of course I can get you a Booker's. And I go to the store and they're like, hell no. We, those things fly off the shelf. I was like, what? When did that happen? I guess it started when, you know, they're doing those naming the batches and whatnot. But uh, that's been a game changer for that that brand for sure. It, it, and it was good before that. It's just, it's just funny that people wouldn't buy it until they like kind of made it more exclusive by naming each batch and telling a story about each batch. It's just into playing into that marketing story once again. I think Booker's cut production by, it was like a third or something like that. When it happened, that was around the time when they did the price increase. I think they were going, that I, was I a think, debacle. yeah. And then they just rolled it out slowly, but I think they cut production down a bit at that time too. Uh, at least that was what they announced, but yeah, a very smart idea, just connection to each batch and what people are looking for. And those diehards that, have to have every single one it's fascinating anybody have any closing thoughts before i wrap it up i was kind of curious on the the single rickhouse thing i know like a kind of bourbon pursuit rating scale i'm curious what you guys are thinking are you thinking this this or this on <laughs> the concept i mean I, I, a lot of different ideas thrown around i mean where is everybody yeah. i'm when i'm when there done Fred. if it's done right like with true intentions i'm a thumbs up on it I just hope it doesn't get like diluted down to like just the story. Oh, it and will. The, the, and the whiskey doesn't like live up to what we think it's going to. It's not that the, about the whiskey. It's whether at the point that everybody does it, everybody follows along. I mean, crap, we got barrels in four different states and, you know, 20 different rickhouses. I'm sure we could come up with something, but does people want, do people want to chase after it? Cause we came out with a, 
a, I don't know, a single continent release. You know, it's one of those things that we oh, could just boy. look Here at. Oh, boy, we go. I know. We could, Trademark we could it. do dumb stuff. We're going to do a zip just... code release. Or <laughs> <laughs> Area code. But you're always going to have that, though. I mean, you're always going to have, I mean, and that's where we come in. That's where we come in to kind of dissect and talk about what's there and people read about it. And there will be those that are just going off of what's on the label and that's it. And those that aren't. I'm excited about it. I just hope, and, and the proof will be in the pudding as we you know, when we start tasting and reviewing, it's like, I just, I'm excited about the concept and I think it's great. I hope it just, it lives up to what they're, we think it's going to be. So I, I will say that historically the federal government used to watch this kind of stuff very closely and they would pull brands into DC and they would say, uh, you're not allowed to use that phrase. You can't, uh, you can't use that claim. You have to prove that it's a single Rick House or best-selling bourbon or whatever. But when the alcohol industry started having less control, uh, kind of an oversight committee from the government, and they left it up to the industry, the industry polices itself. So they don't exactly have anyone looking over their shoulder like they used to. And, and so... Right now it's nice, but once the marketing people get a hold of it, you know, you're going to have NDPs coming out with single Rick House and, you know, we won't, they won't even really know if it was truly a single Rick House. Well, we moved it from 17 different warehouses into one Rick House for a month and then proofed it down with water right down the street. So that's why it's really local. You know, that's the, that's the fear that Kenny has, that Ryan has, that I have. And we all know it's inevitable because it happens with every damn thing in spirits. But for right now, the single Rick house is pure and it's beautiful. And my God, it would be awesome if it stayed that way. It's a good way to close it out there. We'll, we'll have to come back in a year. We'll see if it's got diluted down. All right. Well, let's go ahead and let's kind of close it out. Fellows, this is a great round table. I would say Blake kind of give us a, an outro, but Blake is exited already that's why i didn't hear him for the past 30 minutes he, he went and he's been scanned and put in the cart and sent out <laughs> he's he's out enjoying his anniversary i'm surprised he didn't get yelled at for even joining on for the time he was here so uh hats off to his wife for being so nice and kind and letting him spend the anniversary with the friends and people he really wants to be around that's right celebrate <laughs> his anniversary with yep priorities but brian you go ahead all right. Uh, thanks, guys. Good, good, great episode here. Brian was sipping corn and bourbon justice. Ju- bourbon justice. I can't even say that. Uh, find me on all the socials. Uh, see you guys next time. For sure. And Nick. Hey, guys. Always fun. Uh, Nick with Breaking Bourbon. BreakingBourbon.com. Find us at Breaking Bourbon everywhere. And uh, cheers, everybody. Fantastic. With everybody, make sure you follow all these guys on social media. Also follow Bourbon Pursuit. Leave a review. Tell a friend. Whatever it is, spread the good gospel of bourbon. See y'all later. Cheers. Baca sucks. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.